Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to welcome you all tonight. I want to welcome those who are watching either at either of our campuses, uh, as well as those who will be watching online. We pray that this time together is going to make a difference in your life. And um, I just want us to make a really good declaration of our faith before we get started with the message and before we get started with the rest of what I have to share with you tonight. So why don't you say this with me? Say it nice and loud. For the Lord is good, the Lord is good. and his mercy, and his mercy endures, forever. endures forever. Now let's say it again. Let's say it like we mean it. Amen? Ready? One, two, three. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Now listen up. Now that I got your attention. The announcement that I want to make to you is that as of August the 4th, our service schedule will change on Sundays. Okay, for, the, for too many years now, our volunteers have been carrying four services on the weekend. It's, it's a strenuous thing to do. It's very stressful and then be carrying a very heavy workload. And so, especially our worship team. You realize the worship team has to be here not only for, for practice, but then they're here for four services on the weekend, and that is a tough thing to do. Our ushers are here for four services on the weekend. Our children's workers are here for four services on the weekend, and it's not an easy thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to switch, as of August the 4th, that Sunday, our service schedule from now on on Sundays will be 9.30 and 11.30. Two services, not three on Sunday. We're going to take advantage of the fact that August, usually a lot of people go on vacation, so there's going to be some extra room. However, in the fall, I'm believing God that before the end of September, that wall is going to disappear, and this sanctuary is going to be expanded by another third, which will bring us to up over 300 seats in the sanctuary. Amen? All right, so if you're here tonight, but you usually come... To the 1030 service, make sure you mark it. If you're here tonight, but you usually come on Sunday, you have family members that come on Sundays. Now, when does it start? August the 4th. August the 4th, not before. So don't, don't next Sunday go, oh, I, I, I thought this. No, it's 930 and 1130. It starts the very first Sunday in August. Amen? Amen. And make sure when you see the members of the worship team, when you see the ushers, you see the children's workers, you tell them thank you for all that you've been doing for this past. I didn't realize how long it was. It's been over three years now that we've been doing four services on the weekend. And so it's time. It's time. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Good. All right. So we've been dealing with the subject of repentance for the past two weeks. And I honestly have been so blessed to receive so much feedback on how this has been changing people's lives. Repentance is the act of turning around and going in a 180-degree opposite direction. It is not a slight variation. It is a complete revolution in thinking, in speaking, and in living. And sometimes it happens very sudden. You know, that change, the Holy Spirit just comes and bam, just pulls you out of something and, and pulls you into a deeper walk with the Lord. But there's most of the times, other times, most of the times, it's a process of change over a longer period of time. But it is a revolution. It is a disconnecting from the old nature and bringing us into a new way of living. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I'm sure you're familiar with the scripture, but 
Let's look at it again. I beseech you, therefore, I would say today, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Turn to somebody and say, don't be conformed. conformed. Be Be transformed. So that means we have a choice. Amen? We have a choice of whether we're going to be conformed, whether we're going, to, we're going to be shaped by the culture of this world that is so destructive and so damaging, or are we going to be transformed by the word of God? I say let's be transformed. Amen? Yes. Repentance starts with the realization that my life is not reflecting the character of Christ. Wow. Did you have to go there, Pastor? Yeah, we have to go there. That's when repentance starts to take hold of us, the idea of change. When we start to understand and realize, and we're willing to admit that some facet, some part of our lives is not reflecting the character of Christ, certain aspects of my life are damaging to my loved ones. There's a big one there. And therefore cannot, cannot continue as usual. A drastic change is needed. Now the goal for repentance is that we would think and walk and speak differently and more like God and less like our old nature. Amen? Then renewing the mind is a process of intentionally allowing the word of God to be the rule of thumb for this life, basically living according to God's word and will. Why is this important? Why is this important? You have to ask yourself that question. I'm going to answer it for you. Because you and I no longer want to live frustrated. And frustration sometimes overtakes a Christian's life when, when part of how we've been living has either slipped or, or just drifted away from God or we've gotten distracted and we start finding ourselves entertaining things from the old life. And that brings a lot of frustration. Basically, I don't know about you, I, I believe all of us want to live, don't want to live the same old, same old. We don't want to fall into the same sin. We don't want to live in the same rut. We want a fresh new start. We want to be on the road to transformation so that at the end of that, that specific part of our journey with God, that we can become more effective at touching other people's lives. You know, we're influencing people one way or the other. You're influencing people. I mean, we're either influencing people for God or we're influencing people against God. And I don't know about you, I want to be on the for God. I want to be on the side that's promoting God in people's lives. I don't want to be the one that people point to and say, well, look at how that guy ended up or look at how she ended up. Amen? Amen. So when we fully comprehend that repentance is a gift from God, instead of seeing repentance as punishment, we would welcome the chance. We would welcome the opportunity to humble ourselves before God. Picture this scenario. King David is on his rooftop one night. He sees a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. He calls for Bathsheba to be brought to him, and she becomes pregnant. David, wanting to hide his sin, arranges for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be killed in battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27 says, And after the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. 
The last part of that verse says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This is a phrase that we don't like to say in our modern day Christian walk. We want to make believe that we're doing everything. God loves us. Does God love us? Yes. Is he always going to love us? Yes. Right. Does he love everything we do? No. I'm proud of you. <laughs> There's too much mix-up between God loving us and us pleasing God all the time. And here it is in that verse. The thing that David did displeased the Lord. If we could sit down and talk, every one of us, at some point in our life, probably multiple times, has done something that would deserve that phrase being tacked on to the end of our story. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So we know here, for a minimum, a minimum, about a minimum, at least nine months, David has been refusing to acknowledge his sin before the Lord. Sometimes for our own sake. It is better for the Holy Spirit to be strong in confronting us about the wrong path that we've been on than to leave us on that path of destruction. And so let me read to you from the Bible what happens next in David's life. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet of God. And when he came to him, he said to David, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity that Nathan said to David, you are the man. And this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and took his life to be your own by the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Man. For at least nine months that we know, David's thinking, I got away with this. I'm sure he felt bad. I'm sure he had his moments. But he's thinking, God loves me. 
God made me king. God's given me victory over all my enemies. I guess I'm doing okay. But was David doing okay? No. No. And from this sad incident, David composes Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression as my, and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. When finally confronted, David repents. David opens himself up to God. And then in verse 10, this is what he wrote. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This psalm could more accurately be called the psalm of restoration. It starts with repentance, but it finishes with restoration. Now, in praying about how to wrap this series up, about three nights ago, well, I should say three mornings ago, I woke up and immediately, immediately, as soon as my eyes were open, I heard on the inside, repentance brings restoration. And immediately I was reminded of part one of this series from Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son, the wasteful son, the young man who wanted to launch out, launch out on his own and ask his father for a share of the family business. The young man takes his portion, moves to a far country, and either through mismanagement or just outright just sinful conduct, he loses all the money. You're familiar with the story. He becomes destitute, starving. Finally, one day he repents. The Bible says that he came to himself. He realized that he had made a terrible mistake. He humbles himself and returns home. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, I want you to notice this. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. They celebrated. Now notice this. The father did not relate to the son according to the son's confession. Once a confession was made, he swept it out of the way. The father only deals with the son at that point based on the young man's new perspective on life, his changed mind. He realized he was wrong. And that brought restoration. Watch. He was always his son. But now the father can restore what the son forfeited while in disobedience. The mercy of God is powerful. It's not condemning but effectual towards those who will admit their wrongdoings, who will admit their sin. 
And the son's repentance opened up the door for restoration. He was restored with what? A robe, a ring, sandals. I want you to get this. Jesus came to restore us. And we're going to memorialize that again tonight. When we take communion together, we're going to remember all that Jesus did for us. He came to bring restoration to us. Now, the son's repentance opened up the door for restoration. Not just with the father. Watch this now. The robe is symbolic of righteousness. The son, now, this robe being restored to him, told the rest of the family and everybody else that worked on that farm that they had, whatever kind of business they had, were assuming it was some type of agricultural business. When that son came back out on the front porch with that robe back on again, it sent a message to everybody that knew him. My son is in right standing with me again. He called for the ring. It signifies authority. And it was most likely a signet ring with some type of an emblem or some type of a, a logo or a decoration or some mark that identified what family he came from. He now can once again act on behalf of the father in conducting any type of business that was necessary. The sandals, I think this was the most important one. It seems like the least important, but it's the most important, and I'll tell you why. The son re- recited this confession. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your slaves. Slaves did not wear shoes. And so the father looked down at his son's feet and saw them bare and realized how far the son had gone. And he calls for the sandals, which would have again marked him as being restored back as a son, no longer a slave. Restoration required repentance, not punishment. So many of us are afraid to go to God when we mess up, like like he didn't know already. And we're afraid to go because we're afraid that there's going to be a punishment. There's there's something. He's going to to get back. There's going to be retribution. But Jesus specifically used this story as symbolic of our Father in heaven. You notice this. Watch this now. The Father didn't need to see the robe, the ring, or the sandals to remind them that this is his son. Who needed to see the robe, the sandals, the ring? The father called for them before anything else because he realized the son had forgotten who he was. The son forgot his identity. The distance from his father impaired his ability to see himself as a son. And when we distance ourselves from our heavenly father... We forget we are sons and we start acting like slaves instead of acting like sons. And one thing that would benefit us greatly to realize that this process of repentance, turning around, going in the opposite direction, starts and finishes 
with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Say that with me. The author and the finisher of our faith. The one who begins it and the one who finishes it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the originator and the completer of our faith. Our life with God began when we turned to him and will be finished as we continue to rely on him. Author and finisher, author and finisher reminds me of the process of building a house. A house exists first as a dream in the heart of the building contractor. There is a picture on the inside of what that contractor wants that, wants that house to look like. How big it's going to be, how many square feet, what kind of material, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. It exists as a dream first. So the builder comes in and then starts with the foundation. Then the rough framing, the plumbing, electrical wiring. Then later the walls are sheetrocked and then begins the finish work. Floors are installed. Plumbing fixtures are installed. Cabinets are installed. The woodwork, the trim is installed. And finally, the entire inside is painted. And so you have the rough work and you have the finishing work. The author and the finisher of our faith. He is our foundation, but he's also the custom-crafted master builder who finishes all the little details. That's our Jesus. And as long as we do not resist him, he knows how to take the broken-down fixer-upper of your life and my life and make something beautiful out of it. You know, almost all of us could testify to the life-changing transformation that comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with us in our lives. Every one of us has a story. But as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, let's watch a brief video by one of our very own church members, Raven Laurence. So like many people, uh, I come from a very broken home. Uh, at six years old, my mom was admitted to her first psych ward and my dad took custody of me. And there began a journey of my mom's addiction, watching my mom struggle to find fulfillment in drugs and watching my dad just party and drink. And, and that was my example of fulfillment also. Um, so at a very young age, I learned that substances could bring you joy or help you get through a hard time or even numb you to where you weren't dealing with anything. When I was 10, I think suddenly reality of just how broken and destructive the world was. And I was, I was molested and that created a hole in my heart that um, 
that life just continued to dig in and dig in and dig in and break and break and break. My dad, he, he went to prison and I was left on my own with my mother who was still struggling in her addiction. And house after house, we were evicted and um, it just seemed like life kept piling it on, piling it on. And there was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was nothing that made me think that things got better. So I just assumed that this was life. This is what it gave you and this is what it was. At 18, being a product of my environment, I immediately entered into a very unhealthy relationship. Uh, it was very physically and mentally abusive on both ends. And this is when I learned that I wasn't worth anything. And this is when the lie started that no one wanted me and I would never be loved. And I would just continue this cycle of brokenness that my parents began when I was little. And anything that I could get to fill that void, I went after, whether it was drugs or alcohol or sex or anything that gave me that temporary pleasure, I would seek it. And it did just that. It, it gave me temporary pleasure. Um, it wasn't until that relationship ended that I was in the hole at the very bottom. And that was when I think um, all hope was lost. Literally seven nights out of the week, I was at a bar. I was drunk every night, getting home at six in the morning, trying to be functional for work at eight. Um, I had no money. I was so, I was drowning. I was in so much debt. I was behind on all my bills. Um, I kept seeking to find love and marriage and everything was just falling from underneath me. And it was one of those nights in one of those bars that I, I met the, the girl who planted the seed that would soon change my life. She radiated and I was instantly drawn to her. And as we got to talking, she began to share about her church and pulled out an invite card and, and told me that I should come check it out. And I knew that there was something different and I knew that I wanted what she had. We exchanged numbers that night and about a week later, she texts me and, you know, hey girl, you coming to church? I so badly wanted to say no, but something would not let me. And so um, I meet her there and immediately when I walk in, I felt a presence that I had never felt before. I immediately start crying. It was very overwhelming. Um, and so as worship continues, I'm a big mess on the floor and um, message was great, spoke right to me. But at the end, the very end, um, the pastor begins to tell the story of Jesus and that he loved me. And something in me opened, and it opened to this man and this God. And in that moment, I knew that I was going to walk out of there changed. 
And right there is when I accepted Jesus in my, in my heart and made him Lord of my life, and I have never regretted it since. He made the darkness turn to light. Everything that I had been through in my childhood, he used it to show me a new way. He used it to help me see life differently. And he used it to help me appreciate his goodness and his sovereignty and his faithfulness. And that started a journey that I'm still on and that I'm forever thankful for. And so little by little, I started to pray, God, take away anything in me that is not of you. I'm gonna do this your way. Slowly, he took away the, the, the want to drink and he took away the want to be stoned all the time and he took away the want to be promiscuous and about six months into this um, journey of being abstinence, I met my husband. One of the first scriptures that I ever memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will make your path straight. And by all means, I have not reached a point to where I don't have bad habits or I don't sin. But I'm so thankful for that gift of repentance, for that place that I can, I can go before God and I can say, God, you're gracious and you're merciful and you love me. And so God, I know that this is not of you. Help me to change it. Help me to do it a different way. And he never looks at you and says, no, not this time. He's always faithful to do it, always. Precious blood as the faithful king Pure like the whitest of snow Powerful to make sin and shame retreat This covenant is making me whole So I
Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. What an awesome way to wrap up this series. What an awesome way for us to prepare our hearts to take communion together. As Raven said, that repentance, that special gift from God, he'll never, never say no to us, never turn us away, never reject us, but will always receive us. And with that comes restoration. Amen. Don't ever forget. Take hold of that cup that you had there on your seat, please. And don't ever forget that it was by the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he redeemed us. What does that mean, Pastor, redeem, that fancy word? He purchased our life back, spared us, caused our spirit to come alive unto him. And then set us on this path of transformation, going from glory to glory. Being made more and more in his image and likeness. Becoming holy as he is holy. Take hold of that little wafer there, symbolic bread, symbolic of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're gonna, I'm going to pray a blessing over it, and then we're going to take it all together as one big church family, amen. Father, thank you for your blessing upon this bread. Thank you for all that it represents, Father God. The body of your son, Lord Jesus Christ, suffered and died on our behalf. You raised him from the dead so that we could have hope of eternal life. We receive this bread with thanksgiving in our hearts. Thank you for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please go ahead and take that foil off the top of the cup. And recognize, church, that what we're holding in our hand tonight is symbolic of the most powerful thing in the universe, and that is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has defeated Satan, has cleansed us from sin, and made us able to stand in the presence of our Father in heaven without any sense of guilt or condemnation, having been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your blessing upon this cup and all that it represents, God. Thank you that you did not withhold the very best that you had, your son Jesus and his blood. And we receive this with thanksgiving in our hearts tonight, Father. Grateful, Lord, that you've saved us and that your, your spirit now is at work in us, transforming us, changing us into your image and into your likeness. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and receive that cup. I want to remind you before we leave. Raven said when she prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to come into her life, she has never regretted since that day and experienced change immediately. 
If there's anybody in this room tonight that has never had the opportunity to pray that simple prayer, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you're raised from the dead. Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. Be my Lord. If you've never had the opportunity to pray that simple prayer and you believe those things in your heart, please take a few moments with us as we're all going to pray that prayer together tonight. Those of you that have never prayed this before, please pray this prayer from your heart and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and watch how your life changes. Amen? Amen. Let's all say this together. Father, Father, I believe believe with all my heart heart that Jesus is the Son of God. God. I believe believe that he came to this earth, died on the cross cross as payment for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. dead. So Jesus, Jesus, I ask you, you, come into my heart. heart. Be my Lord. Be my my Savior. savior. Thank you you. for forgiving me my sins. Thank you for making me me. a child of God. God. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. Now listen to me before before you leave very quickly. Those of you, those of you that may have said that prayer tonight for the very, very first time, or maybe, maybe you said that prayer years ago, and, but you've drifted away, and tonight you prayed that prayer to just rededicate your life to the Lord. Whether you said it for the first time or whether you said it as a prayer of recommitment, please don't just walk out the doors. Come up here. There'll be people up in the front. I want to put a Bible in your hands. I want to give you a Bible. I want to give you some materials that are going to help you on this journey now. You have launched into the greatest adventure of your life. You changed your eternal destination this night. Amen? Amen. Amen. Those of you that prayed their prayer, please come up. If you need prayer for anything else, come up. If not, God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.